God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right, guys, welcome back. Today, we're back in Alcoholics Anonymous, Chapter 3, more about alcoholism. More about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. We, many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. We learn that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were real alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. And that's a huge first step, you know, admitting that you're a real alcoholic and that you don't drink like normal people. Um, and it's, it's hard to admit early in your alcoholism. Like you just, you think that there's other things going on that's a, that are affecting your drinking. Like if my wife would just stop bickering at me, if, you know, if I had the right career, um, you know, my neighbor across the street, whatever it is, like you give yourself reasons as to why you're drinking the way that you're drinking. And, uh, and then once you like become an alcoholic, admitting that you're an alcoholic, you know, for one thing, and then coming to terms that you are never going to be normal, that you never have been normal that alcohol affects you differently, and that you can never drink like normal people drink. And, you know, that is a very difficult thing for most people to come to terms with. Like, after no amount of time, can we drink like normal people? Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, we're The way that we process alcohol is different than other people. And, you know, it's the great obsession of every alcoholic to to drink like his fellows, you know, to this day, you know, I wish I could have a couple beers and like, just be able to enjoy that, like, and just hang out with my friends and family at a ball game, whatever it is, you know, yeah, dude, I wish I could control my drinking, but I can't. And I know that I can't. And I know what the repercussions are if I do drink. And I've built a life today that is so great that alcohol could never add to it. You know, the peace and serenity that I have today is way more valuable to me than anything alcohol has ever been able to offer me, you know. And those thoughts are just that. They're just thoughts. You know, it's just a thought that oh man, a beer sounds good. Oh, having a having a shot with my friends sounds nice right now. Whatever it is, like it's just a thought, you know. That's what our brain does. It creates thoughts. So don't judge those thoughts. Just let them come and let them go. And uh, there's, a, there's a separation there between thought and action, right? So as alcoholics, we struggle with impulse control. 
So when we're early in sobriety, like we need to be very vigilant about the places that we're going and staying out of bars and staying away from people that are drinking all the time so that we're not faced with that impulse decision. You know, if somebody hands you a shot um, and over time we lose the desire to use, you know, you ask your higher power to remove that desire to use and uh, it'll be lifted from you in due time. But until then, you got to really be on your toes about it. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real, real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control. But in such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. Uh, I know that that rings true for me. Um, I know that rings true for a lot of people. Uh, it's a progressive illness. It gets worse, never better. Uh, you know, and it goes on, leads in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And, you know, I feel that. And, you know, like, my life became pitiful and demoralizing. Like, I could not believe I had gotten to that point. And I couldn't believe that alcohol had taken me to that point. You know, I thought, uh, I thought I could control myself. You know, I thought, you know, it was the lesser of two evils. Like, I, I traded heroin for alcohol. So, you know, I thought that I was doing the right thing uh, by getting off heroin, even though I still did it from time to time. But it was like, okay, this is more socially acceptable. It's cheaper and, you know, more uh, available. And so it was an obvious route for me. And, you know, I had seen people struggle with alcohol, obviously, but uh, it just seemed like it wasn't as big a deal. And uh, man, I was wrong. You know, it, it, sunk its teeth into me and, and had me and uh, I was completely powerless, you know, and it got worse over time. Like, you know, it didn't start the way that it ended, right? Like it started as a good time, started drinking with friends and, and, you know, eventually I started medicating with alcohol to, you know, to change the way that I feel and then eventually alcohol became a problem in my life. You know, it was creating issues in my life, in my relationships, in my careers. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't work during the day without alcohol. I would be at the liquor store in the morning before work. I'd be drinking on the job, uh, drinking and driving. Um, you know, I was violent, not at work, but just in general, you know, getting in fights and... Uh, hurting people like that and just making bad decisions and just not living up to my full potential as a man. And then eventually that progressive illness got me to the point, you know, DUIs and rolling vehicles and just being arrested all the time. And, uh, you know, got to that point of real powerlessness where I could not be sober at any time of my waking life. Like if I was awake, I was intoxicated um, my whole day revolved around drinking, you know, 
if I was able to hold a job, I was drinking on the job after work more, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night, if I had alcohol left, I would wake up early, like in the middle of the night and start drinking so I could be relatively drunk by the time I got to the liquor store. And it just continued, you know, and it just, it just got worse and worse. And my health deteriorated. Um, you know, I started getting stomach ulcers, was, was vomiting blood, uh, heart palpitations, you know, stomach issues, uh, you name it, not to mention the depression, you know, it's a, it's a depressant. It affects our mental state, um, that way as well. And obviously all the negative repercussions on my uh, relationships and, uh, you know, my interpersonal relationship too, like the way I felt about myself, you know, I knew I wasn't living up to my expectations as a man, as a spouse, as a father, as anything, as a human being, like just a dirt bag out there, just running amok and self-seeking, self-serving and just pleasure seeking, you know, just wanted to feel okay. And I could only feel okay if I was intoxicated. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there have been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, it hasn't been done so yet there's no there's no cure-all you know there's no magic pill there's no surgery there's nothing that's going to fix you other than fixing yourself you know and the only way we can fix ourselves is by allowing god to fix us you know it's a spiritual remedy we have to have a complete psychic change and allow God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot do this alone. There is no pill you can take. Like it takes work and it takes a spiritual recovery. You know, it takes a, a spiritual awakening and, and a progression. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a constant thing. Like you... You can't get complacent in your recovery. You can't get complacent in your spiritual life. Like your recovery is contingent. You know, you get a daily reprieve contingent on spiritual growth, you know, by staying connected with a higher power, by staying connected to this recovery program, by staying connected to other alcoholics, by being of service. goes into like all the methods that we've tried. Um, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. And that's a, a classic mark of an alcoholic is like, we think we're different. Like we think we're special, you know, and a lot of us, are special and like have special talents and like are clever and you know intelligent people except when it comes to alcoholism like we're 
we're just different that way and we are our own worst enemies you know we think we're special and we think we're different and we you know some of us take that all the way to the grave you know but if you're lucky enough to have that incomprehensible demoralization and are lucky enough to you know have the gift of desperation and hit a bottom and like humble yourself and just be completely stripped down and and just like on your knees you have a chance you know but a lot of us have to get to that point i had to get to that point i had to lose everything before i came to terms that i can't do this on my own if anyone who can show if anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking at, only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, Drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the list at infinitum. And that's me, you know, I've tried all the different methods, uh, I was drinking a lot of vodka, so, you know, I tried to just drink beer, um, I tried smoking weed, you know, um, and it all just led back to the same place, um, you know, something would happen, and I would always go back to alcohol, um, any alcohol is going to trigger that phenomenon of craving, you know, and it's always going to lead back to intoxication like once we start we can't stop you know we crave it you know we we just process alcohol differently so thinking that switching from scotch to brandy or, or wine you know unless you're like tapering off and are planning on quitting and are like stepping down from scotch to wine to beer to nothing, it's not going to work. Like you will rationalize that behavior and, you know, say you're only going to drink beer and all you're going to end up is fat from drinking all those calories. You know, that's the only thing you're going to do because you're going to drink 30 beers so you can get to the same level of intoxication that you can off a pint of vodka or a fifth of vodka, right? It's no different, dude. Like, we're irrational in our behavior when it comes to alcohol. So thinking that you can do anything other than like give your power over to God and, and work this program and have a complete change in your life, you're just not going to be successful. You know, this is a, a proven method and it's not the only proven method, but it is a proven method for change um, and I'll, I'll say one thing about like marijuana and 
you know, switching one drug for another. And, uh, you know, anytime that we allow anything, then anything is allowed under the right circumstances, right? So while yes, marijuana might be the lesser of two evils, just like alcohol was the lesser of two evils compared to heroin, right? Um, we're trying to get to the point in our lives and in our recovery where we don't need anything. I don't want to be a slave to anything, you know? I don't want to need marijuana to eat, to sleep, to feel okay, to reduce my anxiety, to give me anxiety, anything, dude. Like, I want to be able to deal with life without having to change the way that I feel. I want to be able to feel my emotions. I want to be able to process my feelings without having to run from them, you know, because when I add any type of substance into my body, it just spins me off on a tailspin that I rarely am able to recover from, you know, and I don't want to go that route anymore. Like drugs are a problem in my life. You know, they're no longer the solution to the way that I feel. And if I allow anything, then anything is okay. Right? Like weed, it might just be weed for a little while, six months, a year, five years, doesn't matter. Like eventually you're going to get to a place where, you know, you're comfortable or complacent and you're going to find yourself with a bottle in your hand, you know. Uh, something happens, heartbreak, whatever, or you're celebrating, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. And uh, you're complacent, you're stoned, or, you know, I used to get too high and like get anxiety, and I knew that the alcohol would calm me down. So, you know, that can happen or, or whatever, you know, you want to medicate your feelings or celebrate life, you're going to end up with a bottle in your hand. And when I end up with a bottle in my hand, I'll end up with a gun in my hand. I'll end up with a freaking bag of dope and I'm off and running, you know, and uh, I just, or it'll stay with alcohol and I'll just drink my life away, you know, and I don't want to live like that anymore, dude. I've played that game all the way through and I don't like the outcome. I want and need something different in my life. And sobriety has afforded me a life beyond anything alcohol could ever give me and anything marijuana or, or pills or anything could ever give me working this program and having a relationship with my higher power and like just living a real life of sobriety is way better than anything that else I've ever had We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you're honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of jitters to get the full knowledge of your condition. So yeah, you know, if you're on the edge and you're like, you can't decide if you're alcoholic or not. You know, maybe you've had some red red flag warning signs. Like, man, I didn't plan on drinking that much. And, like, I got shit-faced and made a fool of myself. 
and uh, you know I don't want to, I don't want that to happen anymore. Or I got a DUI, I got arrested, you know, I hit my wife, whatever it is, you know, like you're seeing the negative repercussions. You got fired, and you're starting to struggle with it and realize it. Well, there's a way to test it, you know, and and if you're already a real alcoholic, don't recommend this because it's just not going to work. But if you're on the edge, you're teetering, try to go to a bar and have a couple drinks. Set yourself a limit. Say, I'm only going to have two drinks, you know, or whatever that like line is for you to where like you're starting to feel it. You know, for some of us, two drinks isn't enough. So maybe three or four or like two cocktails, whatever it is for you to where like you're starting to feel a little bit tipsy, but set that line. Don't say, well, I'll, I'll drink till I feel tipsy. Set that line. Like I'm only going to have four drinks and that's it. I'm going home and see if you can do it. Um, for me, once I put that alcohol in and I feel the effects of it, I can't control myself. Like I will rationalize an excuse to continue drinking. Like whatever it is, doesn't even matter. Um, just come up with any old excuse to keep drinking like oh I'll, I'll try next time whatever it doesn't even matter point is i can't control it you know and if you're a real alcoholic you will develop that phenomenon phenomenon craving and you won't be able to control it either and it's a good tester to see if you struggle with that control and uh, you know it says try it more than once you know that first time's a fluke go try it again it's always going to give you the same outcome. So, um, and you know, if, if you're able to d decide, wow, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm not able to control myself. That should be a real red flag warning for you that, uh, all right, well, this is an issue and maybe I should do something about it before it's too late, man. Because when you get to the point of powerlessness, it's too late and you can't stop, and you can't control yourself from the first drink. We're trying to get, you know, some control in our lives over the first one, because the first one is what spins us off, you know. So if we can stop ourselves from drinking at all, we have a chance. So if we can, you know, stop before it's too late, that's the goal here before you destroy your life, right? Jails, institutions, and death. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that a few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an empowering desire to do so. So, yeah, and then it goes into a story about a guy that uh, was able to stop during his whole business career and then uh, and then decided to pick up the bottle after, you know, a very successful career and, like, quickly drank himself into alcoholism. And so that, uh, that just goes on to show you that like no amount of time is going to heal you from this. Like it's a lifelong disease and it's a progressive illness. And it's one of those things where like, 
if you're an alcoholic right now and you stop drinking, you go get six months, a year, six years, doesn't matter. When you go pick that bottle back up, it's like you never stopped. You're going to pick right back up where you left and more. It's a progressive illness. And then uh, if you don't believe me, go into these rooms of AA and listen to people. Like it, It's a proven thing. Um, this case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. And that's it. So having reservations, you know, like if this happens, then I'm going to drink, you know, if like, if you're, if you're getting sober for somebody else, um, it's, it's not going to work first of all, because that person leaves you or that person hurts you. Uh, you're going to drink over it because you're just being sober for them, you know, um, having reserve reservation about work. Like I'm going to stay sober until I get this promotion or I'm going to stay sober until my career is over till the kids are out of the house. Uh, 10 years, stay sober for the next five years, whatever it is, like, or if my wife dies or whatever, my kids, having any reservation at all is just like writing a death wish. Like you're saying that I'm willing to risk it all, you know? And the thing is, is like, once you get some sobriety and your life gets better, then it becomes like a risk reward thing, right? Like the risk of drinking again and like losing everything and destroying your life, destroying your health, losing all your money, your relationships, your jobs, everything that you worked for is not worth anything that alcohol can give you like that momentary relief of the way that you feel, you know, it's just not worth it. Um, and so I have to remind myself of that sometimes, you know, like, and remind other people, my sponsees and stuff, like nothing is worth giving up what I have right now. You know, alcohol is not a solution to the way that I feel anymore. You know, God is the solution. The pump is the cure, you know, working out, going to meetings, talking to somebody in sobriety, talking to my wife, you know, whatever it is, like spending time with family, you know, exercises is probably number one for me, you know, just like getting outside of my head, being of service, getting outside of yourself, you know, like go help somebody. It's hard to think about yourself when you're helping somebody else, you know, and that's why this program works so well is one alcoholic helping another is without parallel. It helps both of us. 
Like it's not just me helping you, but me by helping you helps me just as much. Like I get just as much out of walking a newcomer through the steps as I get or as you get from working them. Um, maybe even more, you know, because I know what the steps are about and like what it's doing. So don't have reservations, like just accept, have that acceptance, you know, and that's that first step is like, admit that we're powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. When you take that first step, that should be it. You should only work that first step one time, because if you admit that you're powerless and your life has become unmanageable, that means that you recognize the fact that you cannot drink like a normal person that you are powerless over alcohol. So going back to alcohol would be insanity, right? You should never do it again if you understand what the repercussions are of drinking. If you know that you can't control your drinking, if you know what the effects of alcohol are on your life long term, then going back to it after a period of sobriety is insane. And, you know, the time it takes for people to get to that point of powerlessness is different for everyone, you know, uh, whether it's genetic factors or or cultural factors, like, I don't know exactly. It's, women seem to uh, be more affected by alcohol um, than men. That might be a weight thing. That might be a way that we pro- process it. Uh, I'm not sure, but, you know, it is different for everybody. And, uh if you like see it in your family, red flag. To be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink for a long time nor take the quantities some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptoms see large number of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try to get them to see it. And that goes to that denial, you know, and it goes to that the young mindset too, you know. Try to get try to get a young person to to see that they're an alcoholic. Like you're just partying, you know, you're just having a good time. And, uh, you know, I was in denial for a long time, you know, until like the repercussions were just like blatantly obvious, you know, that, uh, that I was an alcoholic, like getting to that point of honesty with myself. Um, it took a lot, man, took a lot of pain. And, uh, you know, if I could have been honest with myself, could have saved me and a lot of people I care about a lot of pain you know but it's hard man especially when you're young like trying to get a a young person to listen to you especially your own children is obviously very difficult to do if anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area let him try leaving liquor alone for one year if he's a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there's scant chance of success. Yeah.
For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is, how do we stop altogether? We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends on the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. So yeah, like whether or not you need this program depends on how far gone you are. You know, if you still have the ability to quit, like you're not all the way into that powerlessness yet, then, you know, do your best to, to put it down on your own. Um, but if you are at that point of powerlessness, a spiritual program is basically your only hope. You know, you have to allow God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You know, there's almost no other way out of it. Like, we become powerless, right? So we have to seek the one that has all power, and that one is God. And when you reach out to a higher power humbly and ask him to come into your life and to show you how to live clean and sober and like fervently seek him in your life and like look for him and pay attention to him and be obedient to the things that he's telling you he will show up in your life and guide you and nurture you and like direct you and if you follow those directions and you follow the suggestions of people in this program and you're working on his program, you can recover, you know, and that's the good news. But if you're, if you're not willing to be honest and like you're still in denial about your problem or you're just not willing or, or wanting to be sober, nothing is going to keep you sober. Many of us felt we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And that was, that was me too. It was like, I had every negative repercussion happening in my life, like, losing jobs, losing my daughter, you know, burning bridges in my life, no money, um, no meaning, you know, and then all, all the reasons, all the positive reasons to be sober, you know, it's like, get those things back and to have some peace and serenity. And like, it wouldn't have taken much, you know, to like, get those things back. All I needed was to be sober. Right? All I needed was to stop drinking. Like, can't you see what you're doing? Don't you obviously see that alcohol is a problem in your life? Stop drinking and you can have all these things back, you know? And I was just incapable, totally powerless. So once we get some sobriety, how do we how do we keep from relapsing here? You know, like once we, once we admit it, once we get into a program, once we get a little bit of sobriety going, what are the things that happen that cause us to relapse? And what are some of the ways we can keep from relapsing? It goes on to talk about it. 
What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree which brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? It goes on to tell a story about a guy named Jim who's, you know, salesman, World War veteran, great guy, um, obvious that he was an alcoholic, you know, he, he stopped drinking for a time, but it says here, all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession, and uh, that's a main point there is, you know, it's contingent upon a spiritual life. It's contingent upon developing our character. Like it's about character development. It's about spiritual development, spiritual progress, and, you know, admitting when we're wrong and saying that we're sorry and, and changing our behavior. And, uh, and it's about, you know, that maintenance it's about the maintenance, about staying connected and changing our daily habits to where we're staying connected and we're changing the way that we live and operate in life, you know. And uh, one of the points here, it says, I remember I felt irritated. I had to be a salesman for, for a concern I once owned. So he was upset that now he he lost the business now he's selling for that business but i just want to talk about you know being irritated like being restless irritable and discontent these are like warning signs red flags that something needs to change in our life um if you're feeling restless irritable and discontent it should tell you that you need to get to a meeting you know uh, for me, it means I need to look at what's going on, what's causing me to feel this way, and then address it. You know, do I need to eat? Do I need to sleep? Do I need to exercise? Am I feeling aggressive? Do I have pent up energy? Um, what's going on in my life that's causing me to be irritated? And then how do I address it in a healthy manner without, you know, causing more problems in my life? And obviously without having to drink or use over it. Um, because when you're feeling that way, especially early in sobriety, the quick solution is to crack a bottle, right? The easy solution is to just get drunk and, and forget about it. And uh, when we are at the point of powerlessness and when we are at a point in our lives where alcohol is a problem, that means that it's not the solution. Right? It means that the risk way outweighs the reward of drinking over this, you know. Uh, drinking alcohol when you have issues is like pouring alcohol on a fire. You know, it, it's just going to explode and ignite and, and cause way more problems in our life than, than we want. Um, it's just no longer the solution to the way that we feel. And, you know, you go into these rooms and, and you listen to people and you stick around long enough and you see people come and go. And, uh, you know, the number one cause of relapse is people that get 
disconnected from the program. They isolate. Um, they stop coming to meetings. They, you know, they're not working a program of any kind. They're not reading literature, listening to, you know, recovery tapes or videos. Uh, their spiritual relationship is on decline. Their prayer life isn't what it was. They're not reading the Bible. They're not going to church. They're not exercising. They're stressed out at work. You know, they're they're stressed out about relationships. Like these are all just like the warning signs of a relapse, you know, because when you get disconnected from the program and like recovery is not on the forefront of your mind and life shows up, you're going to resort back to old habits. You know, you're, you're not, your first idea is often wrong, right? We hear that a lot. First thought wrong. Um, our own brain is, can be our own worst enemy. So a lot of times it's like, Oh, I'm just irritated. I just want to freaking, I just need a beer to relax. You know, that's not the answer, right? First, you should probably call somebody. You know, if you're really struggling and like really feeling like, you know, I want to drink right now, uh, call your sponsor. That's why we have sponsors. Call somebody in recovery that's going to give you sound advice. Um, for me, this was really hard until I was ready to be sober. You know, you talk about the million pound phone, right? Like, and I didn't even want to call anybody. You know what I mean? I wanted to drink. I don't, <laughs> I didn't want you to talk me off the cliff. Like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. You know what I mean? And I don't care about the outcome. I'm going to fucking drink. So picking up the phone was not even an option. You know, even though I was in recovery, right? But when we get to the point when we've had enough, and we're willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober because we know we're powerless, because we know we're unmanageable, and we no longer want to feel that way. We, we don't want to lose everything that we've been working for. Then picking up the phone is a valid option. Call somebody, dude. Talk about it. It feels good to talk about it. For me, I need to talk about it. But first, I need to exercise. I need to like run. Running has been great for me. Uh, it enables me to process my thoughts and emotions, burpees too. Like any type of hard cardio for me is a great outlet to like process my feelings. Um, and sometimes it takes a couple of days. Like I need to sit on something and like process it and think about it for a couple of days until I can come to terms with it. And then I talk about it. And then when I talk about it, you know, I'm talking about it with somebody that is able to give me some good insight and like has a, you know, a good head on their shoulders, typically like a sponsor, you know, and, uh, or somebody that I trust in recovery. And that's going to, you know, allow me to bounce those ideas off them. And, you know, I trust their advice. Right. And then I come up with a solution and I freaking work the solution. I'm very pragmatic in my approach to life. Like, if there's a problem, there's a solution, you know? And uh, I'm very, like, solution-based. Like, okay, this is happening. I need to do this, and I'm going to do that. And then if that doesn't 
work. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shift and, and try a different route. But like, I'm not one of those guys that's just going to like complain and just like not do anything about it. You know, and those people drive me crazy, honestly. Um, so, you know, people call me and like, they just want to rant and like, you know, blow some steam and whatever. And like, I'm, I'm all good to do that one time. Like you can, you can call me and rant about a problem once you bring that problem back up to me and I'm going to give you a solution. Right. And then if you, if you don't like work that solution, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just like listen to you rant anymore. You know, like let's do something about it. Right. So if you're feeling like a relapse is coming on and you don't want that to happen, you know, you're willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober then you're willing to take certain steps, right? And one of those steps is reaching out to somebody and, uh, and talking about it. So it goes on to talk about like how absurd the mind of the alcoholic is and like our behavior can get. Talks about this jaywalking story here. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of a friendly warning. Up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, he is hit again, and this time has a fractured skull. Within a week, after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you that he has decided to stop jaywalking for good. But in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. On through the years, this conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work, his wife gets a divorce, and he is held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways, but the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcoholism has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's just true, you know. It's just like that. Like, all the warning signs happening. Like, I relate my alcoholism to, like, a train wreck in slow motion, you know, that I, I just couldn't get off. Uh, all of these negative repercussions happening and just like unable to stop, just powerless and like continue to go back like a dog re returning to its vomit, you know. I uh, was just totally powerless over alcohol. I got a DUI and flipped my truck, could have killed me. You know, could have killed somebody else running from the cops. And, uh, and you know, I, I got released the next day. And, and the first thing I did when I was released was walk to the liquor store. That is insanity. 
you know, that is powerlessness. And uh, that's where this takes us, you know, just like, obviously, alcohol is an issue, you know, and this wasn't like the first occasion where it was blatantly obvious that alcohol was an issue. So for me to walk out of that jail cell and walk straight to the liquor store is just absolute powerlessness insanity. And the issue, you know, one of the issues is like just knowing you're an alcoholic is not going to keep you sober either. Like self-will and self-knowledge is not going to keep you sober. Um, you have to like work a, a plan and a, and a program of change and action. You know, you have to do something about it. You can know you're an alcoholic as much as you want. You can be the most read up alcoholic there is. But like if you're not willing to do the things necessary to change, you're just going to have, you know, a head full of AA and a belly full of liquor, you know. And once you are that guy, alcohol is no longer fun. Like you know that there's a way out. You know there's a solution. And you're just too chicken shit to do something about it. You know, you're not willing to face your problems. You're not willing to change because it's hard. It's scary. The fear of the unknown. You know, when how what's life going to be like without alcohol? All this stuff, all these irrational thoughts that we have when obviously recovery is what we need. That may be true of a certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because of their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. But the actual or potential alcoholic with hardly an exception will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. Let us take another illustration. And it goes on to talk about this guy, Fred. And Fred went on a spree and, and lost his mind, basically, you know, even though he knew he knew the outcome and he knew he was an alcoholic and and uh, and he still chose to drink and went on a spree and, and just wrecked his life, you know. I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help those strange men, uh, strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that they had a problem that had, that had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. So like that's, That's like coming to that bottom, like admitting that we're powerlessness, right? And like understanding that we have these strange mental blank spots, like that impulse control, you know, just like thinking or not thinking. And all of a sudden you got a freaking drink in your hand, you know, like you have to, you have to find the defense against that first drink, you know, and, and we do that by working a program. This process snuffed out the last flicker 
of conviction that I could do the job myself, you know, and then it starts to get into the solution here. Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Though I had been only a nominal church member, their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow. But the program of action, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out of the window. That was not easy. But the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved, as, in fact, it proved to be. Quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and, I hope, more useful than the life I lived before. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now. I would not go back to it if I could. That's beautiful. You know, that's what I've been saying. Uh, the program of action, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic. So it's a simple program, but it's not easy. You know, like it takes work, it takes honesty. And it's a difficult thing to be honest with yourself and like admit defeat and surrender, you know, like come to the terms that you're powerless, like and and your life is unmanageable and you have to do something about it. And doing something about it means changing everything. You know, for me, I had to change all of it. I had to change the way that I talked to myself. You know, I had to change the way that I talked to other people, all my daily habits. You know, I had to, completely swing the pendulum to the other side and just like be solely focused on recovery and God for a while to develop new habits. You know, we're trying to change the way that we're living, change the way that we're dealing with life. And, you know, changing our habits is a big part of that. And so when we're changing our habits and we're working these steps and like healing from the past, then we're starting to get some ground here, right? We're starting to live a new way of life and we're healing our old way of life. So we're, you know, we're healing this, the scars of the past and we're building a new foundation in sobriety. And that's when real change begins to happen. And it all starts with that surrender and it all starts with seeking God. It's a spiritual program. You know, it's how it works. Um, Fred's story speaks for itself. We hope it strikes home to thousands like him. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they really commence to solve their problems. And that's the unfortunate part about alcoholism is like most of us have to hit a real bottom. You know, we have to be completely stripped all the way down to nothing to like get to our knees and humbly ask a higher power to come into our life and to help us to come into these rooms and and to raise our hand and ask another person to help us through these steps. Like, I need help. You know, I can't do this by myself. I've tried, you know, when I drive the car, I wreck it every freaking time, you know, and I need 
some direction. I need some guidance and I need God in my life, you know. But the thing is, is, is when you do that and you surrender your power and your will to a higher power, one who has all power, you in turn gain that power. You gain power over that first drink. You gain power over the desire to use, you know. And when you start to align your will with God's will and like become of service and you know, heal from the wounds of the past. Like you just get this peace and serenity that you never want to let go of, you know, like my cup just runs over today, you know, to the point where I do stuff like this and am of service and just try to help people. You know, I used to take shit from people, you know, I'm a robber. And today, you know, I, I help run a homeless outreach. Like I give stuff away to people you know it's just like mind-blowing the places that this program will take you you know i have a beautiful house and a beautiful family and just like you know successful business and it's all because i surrender to this program and surrender to god and the more that i do that and continue to do it and like have this spiritual maintenance and this spiritual progression and try to align my will with God's will, the better my life gets. Once more, the real alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. That's it. Only God can help you, you know. So if you're new or if you're struggling right now, hit your knees, you know. Ask God to come into your life. Pray to Him. Beg Him, you know. Ask Him to freaking show up and help you. Like, get on your knees and beg Jesus Christ to come into your life. You know, if you or whoever your God is, doesn't even matter. Just ask him to come and to help you and to show you and then try to be obedient and try to do the next right thing. Like work hard and trust God, you know, like do what you can do. Control the controllables and give the rest to God. Don't worry about the outcomes. The outcomes are in God's favor, right? So all you can do is control what you can control and you can control a lot. You're not helpless here, you know. You can do a lot to better your life. And it starts with those daily habits. It starts by admitting defeat, by surrendering, and then, you know, asking a higher power to come into your life, and then chasing this recovery like you used to chase addiction, you know, like you used to chase the bag, like I used to chase alcohol, like I used to try to escape, you know, or like you try to chase money, whatever it is for you. You know, chase recovery, chase God in the same passion and watch your life change, you know, and give this program a chance. Give it six months, give it a year and and work it to the best of your ability, honest, open-minded and willing, put in the work and see how your life changes. And if you don't like where you're at a year later after really working this program and doing all 12 steps, including the 12th and helping other people, 
you can always go back to drinking. That alcohol will always be there. Those spirits are more than happy to welcome you back. You know, the streets don't love you, but, you know, you can have another try at her, you know. So alcohol can never give me anything anymore. You know, all it does is strip my life away and strip my spirit away. You know, it's called a spirit for a reason, right? And uh, today I have the Holy Spirit, you know, and that Holy Spirit has come into my life and, and healed me and given me power over the darkness and nothing can hurt me anymore. You know, I'm unshakable in my foundation with God. I'm unshakable in my foundation of recovery. And I know the way out. You know what I mean? Like I know the solution. I know, I know how to help others. I know how to help myself. And, you know, this is what I've been called to do. And, and, you know, I'm just trying to reach one person, you know, if I can help one person, then, you know, my life is worth it. And, uh, you know, if that one person's you reach out to me, love you guys. Victorious we became, but never forgot where we came from Life or death not a game, we came to change the lane Recovery addicts, that's the name Give yourself a break, just one day at a time You were born to shine, so live and let love be forever My sister, my brother, don't give in Please remember, the lie is dead, we do recover Welcome home